1: I didn't make much of it, you know. Uh, Mike was asked to speculate about uh, Harp's future, and uh, the one thing I have learned doing this for a long time is uh, I, I don't speculate about you know, free agents, where they're going, how much they're getting. It's just too difficult because there's so many factors involved. So nothing's changed for, with Harp since the, the end of the season, uh, except that we're, I think, we're a better team than we were at the end of the season. So, uh, uh, but we're not closing the door on anybody. So you
2: still expect there's a possibility you'll talk with them again?
1: Uh, yeah, that's what I said. We're not going to close the door on anybody, and, uh, and like I said, we're not going to speculate on who we're going to negotiate with or who we're going to talk to, but uh, uh, we're not closing the door on Harper, or uh, we're going to leave ourselves open to do a lot of different things and do, and do it a lot of different ways.
0: Hello and welcome into another edition of the Racing President's Podcast. We are giving you a daily look in to what is going on in Las Vegas at the winter meetings. Todd Divis is with me. He's standing by as we check in. Tim Murray, he gets the night off. He'll be back in uh, his next start in the rotation tomorrow evening. We are at day two. Todd, you got into Las Vegas on Saturday. You and Murray covered that on today's show. We're going to get to Mike Rizzo spoke to the media. And there was a lot more uh, chatter, not really news, but chatter regarding Bryce Harper also want to talk about new inductees into the Hall of Fame that came out. But Todd, first question for you is is more of a Vegas centric question. This is the first year that Vegas having a big event like this after, you know, the Supreme Court ruling where states can now one by one decide if they want to get into sports gambling business and I'm just wondering, has sort of Nevada, can you sort of see their insecurity or their impending competition? Have they sort of changed the way their sports books are labeled, or does it seem completely business as usual? You wouldn't know things are changing across the nation.
2: It seems business as usual from what I've seen here at Mandalay Bay. The sports book is in the same place. It's the same <laughs> It's the same thing. Uh, they're happy to accept money from suckers that certainly hasn't changed and we actually had someone here who is covering the winter meetings bet on the redskins on sunday so it didn't work out by that it. point <laughs> no it didn't they were very excited that they were getting three points
0: i so, was <laughs> just wondering if sort of it was different now where you know they knew that they had more competition so they were sort of adding new things new side bets new in sportsbook entertainment but you're saying that's just not the case
2: yeah and they don't they don't have a specific Harper bet, you know, a specific Harper prop that I've seen since being here. But you know what is going to be real interesting about the gambling situation is it's already on the mind of the players' union, and they're wondering when all this money comes in, and with the CBA approaching in a couple of years, who gets that money? And how is it going to be determined who gets that money? So is it going to be ownership? Is it going to be the league itself? How much are the players going to receive? Do they have any influence over what bets can be made as far as, you know, deciding what's okay and, and what's not or who sets all the parameters for that? But the prime concern certainly is their slice of the money. And this even piggybacks off of free agency from last offseason when things were super stagnant and the players and the agents obviously were very irritated with the lack of money flowing from the owners so this is something on their mind already when you talk to mlb player union reps among them max scherzer in the nationals clubhouse
0: one last note on that has rob manfred commissioner of baseball used the same buzzword that adam silver sort of created which is quote-unquote integrity fee have you heard him use that as it relates to gambling
2: I haven't heard that, but I love that from a semantics point of view. Right. Congratulations. Is it great? It's yeah, so good. Adam Silver, the former lawyer, as so many commissioners are. That is just a, a really impressive way to twist that phrasing i think like the airline industry is jealous they need to find better semantics for all those times they're screwing us over with their myriad fees maybe they should reach out to adam silver and get some language lessons
0: it really is top-notch pr i love it i mean i gotta give it to i am in the same boat as you like i kind of tip my cap to silver on that one more (laughs) they get aggravated all right let's now get into uh mike rezzo the gm he met with the media Mm. today todd sort of take us away what were some of the the main headlines from his meeting with the media scrum today?
2: Yeah, you know what? He spent the whole day kind of resetting their stance on Bryce Harper, and he had to do that following Mark Lerner's comments last Friday on 106.7 The Fan when he basically said, you know, we made our best offer to Bryce, the $300 million. He declined it. We understand, essentially, the end. (laughs) Meanwhile, Mike Rizzo, literally feet away from Mark Lerner at the time was saying, the door is open, we made an initial offer, we expect to talk with them again, you know, we're not going to shut anything down, et cetera, et cetera. So today, Mike Rizzo was left to say, he had to comment on Mark Lerner's comments, which were divergent from what he was saying. So, And he phrased it as, Mr. Lerner was asked to speculate about what would happen with Harper's future. And so Rizzo went on to say that, look, the door's still open. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to say anything is in or out or whatever, which is what you would expect anyone who could possibly be engaging in future negotiations to say or anyone who, you know, and Tim Murray and I talked about this on the most recent episode of the podcast. Why would you publicly declare yourself out when one of your division rivals is supposedly so hard in? Just be quiet at a minimum. Don't say anything. So they may think that you're still in, but certainly don't publicly say you're out. So, you know, that was strange. And Rizzo kind of had to wrap his hands around that during his various media stops today, including the one in his suite with beat reporters.
0: Do you think that Rizzo today was more talking like the GM talking at the winter meetings who has a huge free agent that he's involved in? Or do you feel like he was the front man covering for his boss?
2: I feel like he was smoothing out, speaking of using proper language and semantics and narrative and kind of phrasing things in an interesting way, I think he was smoothing out the organizational stance after what happened over the weekend. Look, we knew from the start that this is going to be a Learner family decision ultimately. So when Mike Rizzo said he thought Patrick Corbin was independent of Bryce Harper, that made sense because Mike Rizzo was doing all the baseball stuff to get the roster in a good place, which I don't want to lose sight here. Universally, everyone thinks that he's done a very good job of that very quickly here in the offseason before we even got to Las Vegas. And that left the Bryce decision to the owners because, of course, a $300 million-plus decision is going to be up to ownership one way or another. I thought he was just kind of merging and resetting where they are and trying to kind of move on from there.
0: Okay. What were uh, the non-Harper topics that Rizzo covered, if any?
2: Well, to kind of exemplify where we are in the roster construction for the 2019 Washington Nationals, the other topics were... Are you going to stick with the second-base platoon, something we had already covered but we talked about again today, and do you think you want another left-hander out of the bullpen, something they have three of, but they would probably be better off grabbing another one and upgrading one of those three, well, two of those three, because you're not going to upgrade Doolittle, obviously.
1: That's a position that we would uh, we would consider and we think about. We, you know, we're, we like the lefties that we have right now. You know, Gracie had, uh, had a terrific year for us, and uh, you know, we think Solis is a bounce back, his stuff is too good. To, uh, to get hit around like, like lefties were hitting him this year. So we're going to make adjustments with him and see what we've got, but we're not going to rule that out.
2: So that's where we are, lefty in the bullpen. Are you okay with that platoon? I'm sure tomorrow we'll get on to the really hot topic of a left-handed platoon player off the bench. <laughs> um, but that's just because, you know, Rizzo did his business very soon. As he said today, He had a, the, they had their winter meetings before the winter meetings. And so now he's here. He's certainly going to check in on people. He's going to check in on second baseman, DJ LeMahieu, you know, whoever it may be. Um, there will be a bunch of questions about control. Length of contract there, I think, will be huge for them because they have Carter Keeboom waiting in the wings, and they don't, you know, they don't want to give someone four years when they think Keeboom would be there in 2020, if not midseason 2019. So that's where we are. we're on to the small parts. The peripheral... Roster Building, as Rizzo puts it,
0: was there any questions about another starting pitcher, more to the staff in addition to the Corbin signing?
2: No, not today, you know, and but I'm, I'm with you kind of on that line of thought. I anticipate seeing someone in spring training, you know, a name we recognize to be back there with Joe Ross and Fetty kind of see what happens there. So I expect that to come up. It just didn't come up today and it makes perfect sense that by the time we're down in West Palm Beach in February that someone will be standing there kind of in that possible role.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter how much you pay Corbin or you pay Scherzer. you got to have five guys. If <laughs> Corbin doesn't yeah. pitch two out of every five. He pitches just once out of every Frankly,
2: five. Frankly, you should have seven, right? Yeah. You know, because something's going to happen to somebody, whether it's a regression in performance or injury, certainly. So we saw last year what happens when you run out of guys at the back. Things get dicey real fast.
0: Really, really, really fast. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm going to put you on the spot here because I know you've been running around and I don't know if you saw this, but we've talked about Mike Rizzo. We've mentioned the name Mm -hmm. Bryce Harper. We've mentioned the name Mark Lerner. There's another principal member of this negotiation process, and that is, of course, Bryce Harper's agent, Scott Boris. Scott Boris spoke today about, in response to the unusual comments by Mark Lerner from Friday, and Boris dropped Attachment 49. Are you aware of what Attachment 49 is? (laughs)
2: I'm not aware of what attachment 49 is.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to have to do some exact research on it, but basically he was saying like owners aren't really allowed to discuss specifics of these negotiations. And he was saying that Lerner violated some term of the CBA by saying, Hey, we offered 10 years, 300 million. That wasn't enough. Like you're not supposed to do that. According to Boris. And that was his big gripe with Lerner's comments from Friday.
2: You know, and that, falls in line with what we were just talking about of well, what kind of negotiating stance is that. And obviously, Boris is on the other spectrum of that idea, right? He wants teams to think everybody's still in, in particular the team that Bryce Harper played for his entire career up to this point. So I can understand why that would irk you as the agent trying to negotiate the maximum deal, and I don't understand why you would do that as the team who is no longer negotiating with him based on the owner's comments. is a very strange situation, and it's just they were doing really well with how they were handling the whole thing. Everybody felt that way. It seemed like, you know, Harper left on good terms. The initial offer was perfectly reasonable, although you knew he would decline it, you know, and everyone thought, hey, that's the starting point, and this is how you do respectable negotiations, and whatever happens, happens. And then there's this weird wrench thrown in there via an unusual radio interview for the owner, the you know, managing principal owner at this point, and that changed everything and everyone's kind of trying to wade through this now all of a sudden here a couple of days later at the winter meetings
0: a few years ago most everyone would have guessed that bryce harper would end up in pinstripes in new york today brian cashman a longtime gian of the yankees indicated that they're not really in the hunt for bryce harper and they're not if they're good in the outfield and they're not interested in moving him to first base do you take brian cashman at face value
2: i do usually with any of these folks i don't <laughs> Or at least, you know, have a little trepidation about 100% believing what they're saying. But to me, that makes perfect sense for the Yankees to deal with the Red Sox and the Astros. They need to do other things. I don't know that they need Bryce Harper, ideally, to do those things. They probably need more pitching. And I do think that Cashman, we kind of see tenure allows a little bit more honesty in public, I think, right? You know, Brian Cashman has done really good things for the Yankees for a really long time. So back to the semantics game, I don't feel like people in that position need to or end up doing it as much or playing that game as much when it comes time to figure out if they're signing guys or whatever they're being asked about. They can be a little more honest because of comfort derived from longevity. So New York didn't make much sense to me the entire time. And so I don't know if that's like confirmation bias for me now, but hearing Brian Cashman say that. That doesn't surprise me at all, and I think it's pretty valid.
0: Yeah, you keep mentioning how it would always be a learner decision. I think Mm -hmm. for Castro, what matters is he still works for a Steinbrenner, but he works for a different Steinbrenner than he used to. And I think if his first Steinbrenner boss, the boss, was um, still owning the team, I think the situation regarding Harper in New York would be much different.
2: Yeah, we're talking like petulance versus patience, right? Oh, I like that. Impulse versus, that yeah, impulse, woo, semantics, or, you know, impulse versus more of a long game. So definitely a different Steinbrenner there. And if the Nationals wanted to go full Steinbrenner, then their owner would be saying, we got all these other things and we're going to give Bryce $355 million if that's what it takes. But we haven't heard that. Yet out of this camp, and I don't anticipate we will.
0: Yeah, same there. And uh, one more American League team as regards to Harper. There's been a lot of chatter the last few weeks, and then I've also heard it sort of in the Twitter sphere this week about the White Sox' interest in Bryce Harper. The White Sox, though they are in a big market, they are not known as a big market club, and they certainly have done a full teardown rebuild. Do you think there's any truth to Harper and the White Sox?
2: No. (laughs) <laughs> the yeah. way I think Cashman was honest, I think this is, I don't want to call it nonsense, but extremely unlikely. If he was going to go to Chicago, so he's going to go to Chicago to not play for the Cubs and play on the team that can't pitch at all and has no chance and do that for a decade and they're not going to be good for at least three years, maybe longer. That doesn't make any sense to me. The only way that makes sense to me is if you end up with like what I would call a Tom Hicks moment where... The Nationals offer Bryce Harper $300 million, and subsequently the White Sox think they're negotiating against everybody, and they offer Bryce $600 million then you can't, you know, you could never blame him for being like, okay, I'll take the $600 million initially, build in some opt-outs, and then get out of here if it's bad, which is exactly what Alex Rodriguez did. But I don't see that happening. That doesn't make sense to me on any level.
0: Yeah, the last guy that Jerry Reinsorf paid a boatload to, I think, was Michael Jordan, the White Sox (laughs) (laughs) slash Bulls owner. I don't think he's going to be getting back in the game for Bryce Harper. So, all right, we'll close up the Harper talk. I'm sure you're sick of of talking about him here. Any more Harper notes? Are we good for the day?
2: No, I I think we're good. And you just mentioned Jerry Reinsdorf, who my research tells me was in charge of Harold Baines for a long time and also a voter recently with the ERA committee, the New today's game era committee, which is one of the silliest names who just put two people in the hall of fame.
0: Excellent segue there, Todd. You beat me right to it. I want to talk about this and I have a strong passion about it. Two new members of the hall of fame were announced at the winter meetings. Harold Baines, the longtime DH mostly played for the uh, white Sox. Baines going to the opposite field
1: again. Here's Orsalak and look at this.
0: Sec- Did play a bit for the Orioles and also Lee Smith, a longtime closer.
1: Palmero runs and Cal hammers at the center field, but Jim Edmonds is there to make the catch, and that's the ball game. The Orioles leave runners at first and third in the ninth. Lee Smith
0: has now converted his 16th straight save. Uh, who has almost 500 career saves. Both of them are getting in. They had been passed over by the you know the usual route. Before I get into the actual selections, Todd, do you agree with me on this, that I think it's a little silly bad PR by baseball to announce this on Sunday during a very busy NFL Sunday? Like, why not wait for what is kind of a big piece of news until Monday at noon?
2: Yeah, I, I think we see this a lot across sports. Like, even in town, uh, you know, sometimes... The Wizards have an announcement, and in my head, you know you know everyone 's going to be in Ashburn, so don 't do it the day do it on Tuesday when the redskins it's that 's a dark day for availability for the NFL. Make your NBA announcement then you know and I, I just i don 't get it i 'm on board with that mentality. you have to optimize your pop here, especially baseball in the off season especially You know, you're talking about the Hall of Fame. I know it's not the Baseball Writers Association of America's vote here, but it's still obviously a big deal. You're putting people in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, let's find a clever way to deliver this. Let's find the best opportunity and best time and best social media way to do this. Let's modernize the process a little bit and certainly at a base level. Don't do it on an NFL Sunday. To your point, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and when they announced the Baseball Writers' Association of America, when they announced in January, that is done, you know, during the week. But I'm not sure why this one is done on Sunday. But uh, hopefully, they change that moving forward. In terms of the guys who were selected, I think Lee Smith should have gotten in a long time ago. The baseball community as a whole had not yet really come to terms with closers. In relief pitchers making the Hall of Fame, you had very few instances of it, such as like Raleigh Fingers was an early guy. And then Eckersley kind of started more. And now, you know, the Hoffmans and Rivera is going to get in. But Lee Smith should have gotten in. I was very glad to see him get in. Do you feel that he was a Hall of Famer?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he, this committee kind of exists for the Lee Smiths of the world, right? They were close with the writers, and then kind of the, the the voting pool among the writers will change a little bit, and the sentiments around the game and who should get in will change a little bit, and so that will hurt some, some players negatively, and, you know, maybe... After further consideration, you can make a case for them to get in, and this is their opportunity to get in. And and voila, Lee Lee Smith, who did a lot of good things for a very long time and by any measure was simply a good pitcher, a very good pitcher, um, got into the Hall of Fame because of it.
0: Yeah. He ends up with 478 career saves. He had 47 and 43 back-to-back years, 91 and 92. So, and then he had 46 and 43 right after that. So that's four years in a row there, early nineties of over 40 saves, pretty darn impressive. And other good years as well. Late in his career he had 33 and 37 back to back. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Like this committee exists for that very reason. But the one I'm passionate about is Harold Baines who got in. Harold Baines was basically a DH his entire career. And he fell short of 3,000 hits. And he played a long time, Todd, 22 years. He not only did he not hit 500 homers. He didn't hit 400 homers. He hit 384 career home runs, never hit 30 home runs, never hit above 25 home runs. He only had two years above a hundred RBIs. Like to me, this is a, a vote of hall of very good, not a hall of fame vote.
2: Yeah. I mean, 820 career OPS pretty good over the course of 22 years. To your point for that amount of time played though, his totals aren't too fantastic. And, and you know what's interesting today? Don Mattingly spoke here at the winter meetings today, and he was asked about Harold Baines and Lee Smith getting in, and if he thought that provides him any hope. And he kind of deflected and said in a nutshell that he didn't really care about the Hall of Fame, but also went on to say, look, I, for a short period, I was doing things better than anybody else in baseball, whether that, you know in the box or he was also an outstanding first baseman. Many of us older folks rem- remember when Don Mattingly was really good for a handful of years, but not long enough. So what Harold Baines does, one, for the Don Mattingly's of the world, maybe you know they inch closer. But two, for Edgar Martinez, to me, you should have popped some champagne at the Martinez house as soon as this announcement came out. Because there's zero chance that Edgar Martinez can't go in this way if he doesn't get in with the BBWA voters, if you put Harold Baines in this way, Edgar Martinez is an absolute lock to get in. So this was, as much as I'm not sure if Harold Baines should have been in, I do know that this is really good news for Edgar Martinez down the line if he needs to go this route.
0: That's a really strong point there about Edgar Martinez. I know you've covered the Mariners for years. Like, mm-hmm. Where do they think about Martinez in Seattle? Is he one of like, their hallowed guys out there?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. When they were winning 116 games, you know, he was going crazy. And you know, they were good in the early 2000s, and obviously, they've struggled progressively. But then they added him back to the staff here at the end. Career OPS 933.
0: He had over 100 RBIs. I mentioned Baines only had it two times. Martinez had it four years in a row, and then it dipped to 86, and then in the early 2000s, 145-116. So that's six out of seven years. That's pretty strong. And and I did not really think of Edgar Martinez as a Hall of Famer, but right, if we're doing apples to apples, then his apple's better than Harold Baines's apple. Uh, Yeah,
2: 933 OPS over the course of 18 years, leads the league in on-base percentage three times, leads the league in OPS. One time, he's over 1,000 OPS, one, two, three, four, five times, or 185 OPS plus one year. There's a truckload of hitting evidence. This is a guy who finished with more career walks and strikeouts Whatever you wanted at the plate, he gave it to you, and obviously the DH is viewed a certain way, especially when it comes to Hall of Fame voting, a detrimental way. But again, if Harold Baines is in, there's no way you can keep Edgar Martinez out.
0: Offhand, just guess, and I don't expect you to know this. I'm not going to duck any points <laughs> if you're far off, but just guess how many homers Don Mattingly has. You mentioned him as a guy who might get consideration.
2: I would say 218.
0: Whoa, that was really good. 222, Todd. Very impressive. Yeah, okay. So 222 is a far cry from your usual Hall of Fame first baseman. Though I will say this, he did have five years of over 100 RBIs. But... Yeah. You get the gold star of the day there, Todd, for being within four homers of Don Manley's career. We're going to close on this here and Todd and Tim are going to be back uh, with us tomorrow night. As they check back in from day three, we wrap up day two's podcast here. They announced that Sunday night baseball, which has been on ESPN for three decades. Now they're moving it from 8 PM Eastern to 7 PM Eastern. I love Mm -hmm. this. I think this not like an earth shattering move, but I think it is the right move, not only for the teams, but mainly for the fans. I think viewership will enjoy that instead of waiting around for these games a lot of times they're in new york or boston starting at eight o'clock on sunday night what do you think about the decision
2: i think anything that gets the end of the game closer to when nine to five people are still awake is an improvement i know there's some issues with doing this in the postseason it would be difficult to do but yeah 100 percent. i don't know why you would proactively schedule something that will half the country won't be up for end because they have to go to work on Monday morning and they're not going to stay up until 11:30 or later to watch a regular season Sunday night game because it started at 8 p.m. for absolutely no reason when you could have started it much earlier so yeah I'm all aboard I love Sunday night baseball it's great that they're moving it up I'm always of the mind that if there's any way for baseball to improve things from the perspective of getting their product in front of kids then they should do that and even if it's to your point, you know, this is a, they just bumped it by an hour, but that's better. So anything that's better counts as better, and, um, you know, this is better to get your product out in front of more people, more young people, something they desperately need to do. One of these days, I'm sure, we'll talk about attendance and all those kind of issues that MLB is dealing with right now. So move it up. Make it easier for everybody to see your product at all times.
0: Todd, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll uh, check back in with you tomorrow. Enjoy the buffets and uh, get a good night's sleep out there for another busy day down in
2: Mandalay Bay. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it.
1: Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. Mm. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm.
0: Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. I want to thank Todd for joining us in Vegas. He's got two more full days, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday is the final day in Las Vegas for the winter meetings. Before we head out, Tim Kirchin from ESPN sat down with NBC Sports Washington. He was asked about the possibility of Harper going to the Phillies. I think the most logical landing spot for Bryce Harper is the Phillies. The Phillies have a lot of money and they are willing to spend it. And they've made that abundantly clear. They also have a tremendous need. They played really well for three or four months last year, but the last two months were not good. And that club needs a middle of the order hitter and they need a star hitter to build around and bryce harper fits that category plus they've already traded for gene segura pretty good hitting shortstop which means they should be at least to me less engaged on manny machado and more engaged on bryce harper so this story doesn't change by the day it changes by the hour but at this hour i will say the phillies look to me to be the best fit for bryce harper Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, we'll be back with you, checking in with Todd in Las Vegas from the winter meetings. Hope you enjoyed another edition of the Racing President's Podcast.